Well, welcome to the Vineyard. It's going to be a full day. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a busy day. Uh, and I am very, very excited about it. Um, I'm just going to jump right in here because I got a note from my uh, producer um, um, during the week when I sent my sermon. And he goes, wow, this is the first time that 85% of the sermon has been yellow highlighted, meaning it's going to show up up there. Like, it's like usually I just, you know, he gets a little bit. He's, I said, well, buckle up. Here we go. I said, you know, we're doing that teachy thing, not that preachy thing. And so there's a lot of information information that we're going to be sharing. And we're in the book of Romans and we're looking at this book. And, and remember, it's a letter. Remember, the book of Romans is a letter that was written to the church in Rome, and it was meant to be read, and I want to encourage you, if you have not accomplished this yet, make it a goal to accomplish it this week. Sit down and read the book of Romans from, from the first chapter to the last in one setting. Just, just so you get a feel for everything that Paul is attempting to do as he writes to the church in Rome, okay? Um, give, give that a shot and just see what it does for you, okay? But what we're getting into this and we want to look at this, okay? So this is our second lesson um, in this series. Uh, last week we looked at Paul, we looked at who he was, what his accomplishments were, was he qualified to write a letter that we should listen to? Um, we, we discovered he's an apostle, that word apostle means sent out one or missionary, we recognizing, uh, recognize that it means that he had to um, have had an interaction with Jesus himself um, to be an apostle. And, and so we looked at a whole bunch of that stuff. It was great. Um, we looked at the idea of being a missionary and sharing the gospel. What is the gospel? And we need to talk about that, right? Because if you're talking to your friends about Jesus and they say, well, what is this gospel? You need to be able to share that. So we talked about this good news that you and I can be in a right relationship with God and that our sins are cast as far as the east is from the west because the blood of Jesus paid that debt. And we're going to further that just a little bit today um, because last week we talked about the power of the gospel. We talked about the way of the gospel in humility and we talked about the cost of the gospel. All he wants is your heart. But if he gets your heart, <laughs> he gets it all. Okay. And so we're there. And so now we want to launch into what it is that Paul is attempting to do by writing this letter. And, and, and I look at that and I say, because when, when you're going to have an interaction with somebody, even a good interaction, you want to stop and say, what do you hope is the outcome of the interaction? If you're going to have a conflict interaction with somebody, okay, and that happens to us, even Christian people um, live at odds with people and sometimes we have conflict. But if you're going to approach somebody and bring something up, then the question is, you've got to ask yourself, what is your desired outcome? What is your goal that you would like from this interaction or, you know, this conflict resolution? What do you hope to achieve? If you say, I don't know, I just, I'm just so mad, I just want to sling mud, okay? Not a good idea. But if you can stop and say, listen, I think this person owes me an apology. I want them to say to me, you know, I'm sorry because they need to know that they hurt me. And so that's called communication. Imagine everything that can be handled when there's communication. And so Paul is writing and he has an outcome and he has something that he's, he's working at. And it is something that is incredibly important, okay? So he's writing a letter to the church in Rome. Before I get into the scripture today, he's writing a letter to the church in Rome. He's never been to Rome. As he writes this letter, we recognize somebody planted a church in Rome. They did. And it wasn't Paul. 
But now he wants to go there and he wants to talk to them. All right? And so he says, I want to give you um, this letter. And basically this letter, this, this book of Rome, 16 chapters of Romans, it's, it's a tutorial on how to be a Christian. He's trying to say, I need you to get this right. If you're going to name the name of Jesus, I need you to understand why and how and, and how's the expression of it and how we're going to do that. At the vineyard here, you'll often hear me say, listen, what matters is what does the Bible say about what the Bible says? Stop right there. Because sometimes we say, well, I learned here, or I did this, or grandma said that, or my preacher at my other church said this, and what it comes down to is, open up your Bible and tell me, does that, is that what's written there in front of you? Is what you see in front of you what's being preached to you? Because that's the only thing that matters. And the second question will be, if this is the truth, how am I going to change my life to fit it? Not how am I going to change it to fit my life. We have to stop changing Scripture and start changing our lives if we want the favor of God. And listen to me, I want the favor of God on you guys so bad. Okay, we talked about this last week. I want you to have some parisos, okay? I really do. Listen, there's a couple here that I haven't seen together in church for quite a while. I'm talking about you, okay? And so I was so excited when I walked in and they were here together. It's like, God, put some parisos on those. That's a Greek word that means abundantly more. John 10, 10. Abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. And so that's what Paul is doing. Listen, he's giving a tutorial on these things. He's giving them a tutorial on the depravity of man. And he's giving them a tutorial on sin, on grace, on forgiveness, on mercy, and not being judgmental. He's giving them a tutorial on freedom from the law of Moses, capital L, capital M. Freedom from the law of sin and death. It's the same thing as the law of Moses. Freedom from the law. It's the same thing as the law of sin and death and the law of Moses. These are terms that are used for the 613 commandments that God gave to the children of Israel that they were attempting to follow. The core of them all is the Ten Commandments. But there's 613 actual commandments that they adhere, try to adhere to. And it appears that he desires to make sure that they perfectly understand their position before God. So Paul comes out of the last week. We ended with the, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is, it is the power of God. Okay, we came out of that. And we're kind of coming into the, and then mankind rejected God. What was that all about? And so we're looking at that today. I believe it's kind of like Paul saying, I believe, but now i got to say some things you're probably not going to like. And remember, he's talking to a church, talking to a Gentile church in a community and a culture that is, uh, they're pagan worshipers. And if you think we have it bad right now from the Super Bowl halftime show, did he just go there? I'm not touching it, okay, <laughs> at all. I'm just saying, we don't understand an oversexed culture until you start reading Rome, Corinth, Ephesus, and some of these pagan cultures, okay? That's what the gospel was born as a light in a dark place too. And we need to grab a hold of that and understand that. And here's Paul. He's not trying to be popular. He is not interested in being popular. He wants to see people saved. And we don't always live or attend churches where um, people want to see people saved. Sometimes we see, you know, we're, what's going on is people want to be popular. They want to be famous. They want to stand on a stage. They want to stand in a light. They, wanna, they want people to like them. 
That's not the gospel. The gospel is about seeing people saved. And so let's get into Romans. I'm going to use this little book here that I keep teasing you about. We're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 18. And we're going to read through to the end of the chapter. And we're going to look at this problem that's going on here. And I want you to look at this, okay? Because we're talking about um, the, the problem. And the problem of humanity that Paul needs to ground in people's heads after what we talked about last week is the depravity of mankind. And when I say depravity... I'm talking about the innate corruption of the human nature due to original sin. But I'm also talking about wickedness and immorality. Okay? So understand that as well. So in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, the scripture says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, and these are the invisible qualities of God that you can see anywhere you look, okay? These are the invisible qualities of God, okay? Um, they've been, uh, let's see, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, here we go, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. And what he's saying is, look around at creation. You can't miss the fact that there is a God. And we're going to jump on this, okay? So he goes on to say, for although they, mankind, knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like mortal men, birds, animals, and reptiles. Wow. They chucked out the real God and did that. It goes on to say, therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, um, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Okay? And I believe, listen, I'm just telling you as you're reading that, that's heterosexual immorality. That's what I believe that that is being talked about right there. Then they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God, they gave them over to their shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversions. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to um, retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a, there's this word, depraved mind to do what ought not be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. There's that word again. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. By the way, they disobey their parents. And they are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That he, I just cannot imagine what brought him to put that there. Although they know God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And there's the scripture. 
There it is right in front of us. In front of us. They traded the truth of God for worshiping created things. The depravity of our minds is that we reject God who created us. We reject his law. We reject a natural understanding that only a, crea- a, a, a creative design by a creator could have created this. We reject that and then we fashion things and bow down and worship and make sacrifice to it. We can't do that, Paul's saying. And remember, he's talking about a pagan religion. He's speaking to the Romans who are occupying Jerusalem. And he is telling them, this is not the deal. I, was, I began to think about, you know, this, this whole making gods for themselves thing. Now, these are the Roman gods, and it's just, it's just drawings is all it is. But these are them. You see Zeus up there. You see Poseidon up there. Um, you see Ares up there, or, or Mars, whichever one it is, because the Greeks and the Jews, they, these translate back and forth, but they have different names for the same people. And so you see all of These are their gods. Remember Paul said they fashion their gods from animals, serpents, birds, and human form. There's the gods that are human form. And then we look at cultures around the world. Let's just take a a real quick spin. And then we look at at, at cultures that create um, gods out of the animals and the the birds of the air and things like that. And we say, well, hold on a second. And we've got like eagle spirits and we've got wolf spirits and we've got all of these spirits that are gods that we dance around and we've carved it out of a dead tree. And Isaiah would say, man, you cut down the log and half of it you cut up and you form and you make a little god and you bow down and worship it. The other half you cut up even to smaller and you throw it in a fireplace and you warm yourself and cook your dinner. (laughs) What kind of people are you? But that's what we got going on. And then we go back to Egypt where, where Israel was for 472 years. And we look at you know Ra and we look at uh, um, 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 Anubis and, and we look at On and, 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 and they just like convoluted some things so they could be like cool or something or maybe they were trying to make a cartoon but they made some or Pokemon cards I don't know which it is but um, but there it is okay and, and so you've got these gods and and and, and they're gonna bow down and they're gonna worship them and they're all over Egypt um, the, the antiquity of Egypt they're all over it and then if you take a swing up through the, the the east a little bit you come to the Hindus and then they've got a god and it's like what How do you have a God with that many hands? Like maybe she was pretty, but then you stuck all those hands on her. It's like, man, sass off to her and you're going to get hit 28 times. You know what I'm saying? It's like, do you know that the Hindus, um, that they have like over 250,000 gods? 250,000 gods. And it's just like... Was this like a bad mushroom trip back then? Or did you just like wake up and say, I had an epiphany and this is now our God. Let's cast her out of gold and bow down and worship her and do all kinds of immoral things. I mean, seriously, how do you do this? How does a a humanity get so depraved that that is okay? And I didn't even put the golden calf up there from Israel yet. Well, I'm not going to anyway, but it, I, I mean, seriously, Moses is gone for 40 days and you're sweating the fact that you're out in the wilderness and you're like, hey, dude, um, make us some gods that we left in Egypt so we can you know, like party like rock stars. Seriously? And Aaron says, okay, everybody, give me your gold earrings, your jewel. Come on, let's make a god. Let's have a party. 
It's like, seriously, how do you believe that you can bow down to that and it's going to answer your prayer? How do you get so depraved that you make something up and then choose to say, this is my God? Unless you think Christian people don't do that, this is the one for Western Christianity. Well, Joe, that is a picture of Jesus right there. No, it's not. This is not a picture of Jesus. This is somebody's interpretation of Jesus, but it is not a picture of Jesus. Come on. I know for a fact that's not Jesus because there's a chance if you just turn him just right, he becomes Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Stop and think about it for just a second. And I'm not being sacrilegious because that is an image made after the fashion of man by men. And I'm telling you, that's an idol that's in the second page of my Bible, the first one I ever got, and hangs in houses all over America. And I'm not saying you're all going to burn in hell. I'm just saying the Scripture says they fashion for themselves gods after the fashion of humans. Now, I know that that's an idol. I know that that is not Jesus. You know why? Because I have read my Bible. <laughs> okay? My Bible says, and yours does too, because there's only one, it says in the book of Isaiah 52 and 53 that there was nothing about our Savior that was comely, if I can use a you know, King James word, that we should desire him at all. That is a good-looking man right there. I'm just telling you. I also know that that's not Jesus because I don't know about you, but that man is English. Pastor Joe, how do you know that man's English? Look at his nose. <laughs> I'm not kidding. If you're a person who studies anthropology, you look at that and you say, high forehead, sharp brows, angular cheeks, a very distinct nose. Yes, probably the Lord of Northmore Heather or something that we just painted up and put in a white you know, tablecloth. I mean, come on. Do you know that the Jews were in Egypt for 472 years? Do you know that? Can I convince you? Will you trust me? Nod your head like this. I can see you. Okay? <laughs> Nod your head. They were in Egypt for four. Did you know that Egypt is North Africa? Do you know that? Do you know the people of North Africa are a little different color than the people of Israel. Some of you are like, I'm not nodding until I know where you're going with this. <laughs> We're about to make some other church, our personal church. <laughs> it's like, I'm just telling you, you take a group of people that started as a family of 70-some people, you send them down to Egypt where they stay for 472 years. And for 472 years, they all found husbands and wives that they did not bring with them. As a matter of fact, if you read the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus, okay, you in Genesis, you will see that they intermarried some of the people from there because as they come out, Moses tells them in the law of Moses how to deal with the aliens amongst you that you've married and that they have to be willing. It's in the Bible. So there is a better chance that a depiction of Jesus, first of all, should at least be, are you ready for this, Jewish. I could stand alone on this stage in my belief, 
but I'm telling you, the guy's Jewish. Okay, Jesus, he's Jewish. All right? I'm telling you that his family line, he can trace all the way back to 472 years in Egypt. So he's probably a little darker complected than I am. There is a huge argument and a valid argument that he was more black looking than white looking, if I can just use simple terms. Seriously. I'm not trying to upset your basket, but when we put the picture of Jesus up there from Western Christianity, suddenly we make him to look like us because we want to be careful, comfortable with our God. So we make our God look like us. And the fact of the matter is that picture was probably of a guy that's almost six foot tall and the average Jew back in Jesus' day was like 5'5", five, 5'6". Five, five, he would have had curly, curly, curly blonde, or, I mean, excuse me, brown hair. He would have had heavy eyebrows. He would have had a round face, not a long angular face. He would have had um, beautiful chocolate brown eyes. But Isaiah said there was nothing about this person that we should be drawn to him. Nothing at all. And it's like, oh, he wasn't handsome. He wasn't good looking at all. And then we make a picture of him, and there it is. So we recognize when Paul says to the church in Rome that you make gods out of animals and you carve them out of wood, and you also depict for yourselves images made out of human beings, and you say, this is our God. The white Anglo-Saxon, tall, English, high forehead, good-looking Lord of the manor, Jesus, goes against everything that Scripture says about who Jesus is. Everything at all. And so they create gods that never existed or they wrote God off altogether. I call this Barbie Jesus. Okay? You seen Remember the Titans? I love that scene when uh, they, they tell the little blonde-haired girl, hey, go play with your little friend over there. And she says, no, she's playing with dolls. And that little girl says, I'm not playing with dolls. I'm accessorizing. And it's like she's putting, like, shoes on the Barbie and hair breadths on the Barbie. And we do that with Jesus. We read down through his, 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 his words. We read down through the commands of the Lord, and we say, I like that. I don't like that. Just put that over there, okay? We'll play with that later. We're going to play with this right now. We, and we create our own Jesus. And we say, this is Jesus of the Bible, and it is. But it's only a part. Because we don't like some parts because they call us to conform our life to his teachings, and we don't want to do that. And it's like, yikes, what are we going to do? And there it is. And so we end up with a problem, and, and Paul kind of gets in our faces a little bit, and there it is. We want a part of Jesus, but we don't always want all of Jesus. And that's Paul saying, listen, i got to tell you Romans how it is. You know, that's a problem with, with atheists and, and uh, scientists is that they've got this idea. They're the ones that are saying, hey, then there's no God. We're going to say that there's no God, which is a problem of itself. On the one hand, we've got people saying, this is my God. And on the other hand, we've got people saying, there's no God. And I want to challenge that for just a little tiny minute if I can too. And you know I'm lying. It's not going to be a tiny minute at all, okay? But here's my problem with science and atheism. Nothing cannot create something. Do you understand that? I don't know why they think that we should sit in a college-level class and be so stupid as to think that nothing can create something or that everything can come from nothing. It's a scientific law that that is not possible. But then you go to a different science class and they say, well, these two particles that were not out there and we don't know where they came from crashed together. And it's like, okay, where did the particles come from again? 
while nobody knows. What were their names? By the way, if they're out in space, what got them propelled at each other so fast? Something had to push them to get them moving so fast where there's no gravity that they crashed into each other and boom, there was stuff. Seriously, for just a second, nothing cannot create something and something cannot come from nothing. It's not possible. Want to see that again? Nothing cannot create something and something cannot come from nothing. Here, let me read it to you. It's called the law of zero energy universe. See? We get all scientific here. Okay? I'm not like Bill Nye or anything, but I could cut a clip out. I could read it to you. The zero energy universe states that the amount of energy in the universe minus the amount of gravity is the exactly zero. That is the only kind of universe that could come from nothing. Assuming that a zero energy universe is already nothing, therefore the only thing that can come from nothing <laughs> is nothing. <laughs> it's a law. It's a scientific law. And yet... They want to say there, there is no God. Listen to me, there is a God. There is a creative designer, and I cannot comprehend him. I cannot comprehend him at all. But I have a revelation through his son, Jesus Christ, as to who he is. And that's what Jesus came for. So God, A, gave them over to the sinful desires of their heart, sexual impurity. And he lists heterosexual, heterosexual as well as homosexual sin. Both of those are listed. Listen to me. I can't change the definition of sin. But, I, you know, homosexuality is not God's plan. But neither is immoral heterosexuality. And I will contend with you right now that there is more unchecked, unchallenged heterosexual immorality in the church than there is homosexual immorality. I will. Because for some reason, we're willing to just kind of turn our head the other way, or people will come to me and say, we prayed about it and God said it's okay. No, he did not. He did not change sin to fit your lifestyle. He invites you to change your lifestyle to fit his righteousness that he called you to. And then he invested the Holy Spirit of God in you to give you the power to come away from sin. We are not left powerless. That's what Paul is trying to get across here. And so as he goes down through this, he says, listen, God gave these people over to their sinful desire. Their heart said, we don't want God. We want to just, just remember, he's talking to, to a culture that is seriously pagan and seriously hypersexed. okay? And so that's what's going on. The humanity begins to worship created things rather than God, and I believe that that includes the sin of rationality here. I believe that it includes the idea that if I can't figure it out, that can't be what God means. If, if I do what Jesus says and it costs me my life, that can't be what Jesus wants from me. Yes, it is. It is. He wants us to die on that hill of obedience. Because we don't die. We don't die. We live forever. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We live forever. We don't live in fear of death any longer. He has set them free from their fear of death, it says in the book of Hebrews. 
All right? So we've got to understand we can't worship created things rather than God. It says they pursued shameful lusts, unnatural sexual relationships, and um, homosexuality specifically, he listens. But remember this, Paul is writing to a church that is, is just been planted right in the middle of a society that winks at pedophilia, that winks at heterosexual um, um, immorality as well as homosexual immorality. Listen to me. My wife got her PhD, and I had to listen to this thing when she studied Roman culture. I was listening to that as she was doing that. That's the culture that the church was planted in. So when we say, wow, things are getting really bad, listen to me. We're not as bad as they were in Jesus' time, but it's coming. The question isn't, are we going to throw rocks at people? It's, are we going to take the light and love people? They don't need rocks thrown at them. But somebody's got to stand up and say, hey, this isn't God's best plan for you. This wasn't the way God you know, wanted things to be. And guess what? Life's not always going to be easy. God does not want us living a homosexual lifestyle. God does not want us to live an immoral, heterosexual lifestyle. If you cannot woo somebody into marrying you, God says you may not have sex with them if you're a heterosexual. You are not an incomplete person if you never have sex. You just live in a society that says that you are. That you are incomplete if you do not have a vibrant, active sexual life. The history is full of people that did not. Because it wasn't the center of their culture like it is ours now. The last thing he says is their minds became depraved. Their humanity burns with every kind of evil and perversity. And he says they've been filled with every wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. And then he explains it. They envy. Didn't Paul just drive a stake through all of our hearts when he listed this? The book of Romans was written that we might all understand that we are all sinners bound for hell. You envy do you envy your neighbor's house, his income, his job, his car? Huh? Strife, excuse me, murder. I think we're kind of avoiding that one for the most part. But what about strife? Do you create strife at work? Are you the one that pulls somebody aside and says, do you know what he did? Do you know what she did? Well, let me just stir things up here a little bit. Are you the one that kind of gets off on gossiping and creating divisions in the church? You know, in the book of Proverbs, um, the scripture says the person that sows discord is an abomination to God. An abomination. Wow. Man, I hate to think that that word's been used on me. And so we look at this. Envy, murder, strife, deceit. Only tell enough of the story to stay truthful, but get somebody to believe the opposite of the truth. That's deceit. See, it doesn't say lying. It says deceit. We're just not going to tell you the whole truth so you'll believe what I want you to believe. Okay? And what about malice, hurting other people? What about gossips and slanderers? And then, of course, God-haters, people that want to shake their fist in his face or hold up pentagrams and say, you know, I hope I die and go to hell because I don't care about your God. Okay, what about insolent people or arrogant and boastful people, people that look down their noses at other people? You know, there's nobody that you're better than in all reality, and I'm not trying to be mean to you. I'm, I'm really not. I love you. I do. But there's nobody out there that you're better than. You just lived a different set of circumstances, and you made different choices. That's all. They still need our love just because they're different than us. We're not better than anybody. 
We're just different. And so we look at this. They invent ways of doing evil, and then if that's not bad enough, he just <laughs> drives it home that they disobey their parents. <laughs> well, there you go. You know, you had to throw that. I'm going to just, the rest of my life, you had to throw that in, didn't you, Paul? You know, it's like I had to get sassy with my mom or my dad. Oh, and now I'm depraved because I do that. Oh, I didn't want to be depraved. You were born depraved. You did not become depraved. You were born depraved, separate from God, full of yourself and your flesh. Okay? They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, and no mercy. And so depravity of mankind is revealed by the law. We only know we're breaking the law because the law was added. Okay, so the solution. Let's wrap up the solution. Okay? The solution is the grace and the love of God. Paul takes all of this time writing to the Romans in the first chapter, and he goes, you know, they're sinners, and they're doing this, and they're doing that, but let me tell you about the grace of God, and then he's going to begin to tell Christian people how to live. Okay? So he says, listen, but here's the solution to the depravity of mankind. God loves us. God loves you. So much so that he came down here. Look at this. Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul says, now, I hope that by the time I've gotten to chapter 3, and there were no chapters in his letter, but I hope by the time I got here, you understand that every single one of you is guilty, including me. And, but we're all justified, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, and that rang in the Jewish ears. God presented Christ as the sacrifice atonement. That was a once-a-year sacrifice. And so that rang in the Jewish people's ears. They understood that. Somebody to pay the sin. We put all the sins on this goat, send it out into the wilderness. We take this goat, we sacrifice it. We say, thank you, God, for taking our sins away. Christ became the atonement goat that got cast out and killed, okay? All our sins got settled on him. So he became our atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received through faith, by faith. He did this, and this is the reason that God did things the way he did them. When you say, well, from Adam and Eve forward, why did God do this? Okay, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, in his long-suffering, in his love for you and I, he had left the sins committed before Jesus unpunished. You say, no, they had to sacrifice bulls and goats. That's right. And Paul says, as he writes the letter to the Hebrew people in the book of Hebrews, but the blood and bulls and goats can never take away the sins of man. Therefore, it became an annual sacrifice that had to be made every year because Paul says it only covered them up. As long as they were under the blood, they were not counted against humankind. See? But God did this because he wanted to pay the price to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. To be just, God had to punish us for our sin. To be the one who justifies us, he had to be the one that died for us. And God wants you to know that he loves you so much in light of the fact that you are a sinner that he came down here to wrap his arms around you. He didn't come down here and say, get away from me, you filthy pornographer. 
He didn't come down here and say, get away from me, you filthy homosexual. He didn't come down here to say, get away from me, you filthy, nasty prostitute or crack addict or meth head or thief or politician. If you're a politician in here right now, Jesus loves you. That's why God came. Because he wants you to know that all of that other stuff is from a depraved mind and a depraved heart. And he wants to set you free from it. And he wants to be the guy. So he lets us know that everyone is a sinner. You're not free and Joe Wood's not free. We are all sinners. We are born sinners. You are not good except in Jesus Christ. And I know this because Jesus said, why do you call me good to a young man one time? And he said, because there is none that is good. No, not one. None. And it certainly isn't me outside of Jesus Christ. B, Paul came to tell us that, or God did this to tell us that everybody is justified freely by his grace and through his blood. Nobody deserves it. Therefore, I can't boast myself over you. I don't deserve it more than you. I challenge you. I encourage you. I inspire you. And I call you away from sin. But it's God who judges us. We are called to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So there is a place when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us that we take charge. Like Paul said at one point, study to show yourself approved. Be transformed. Change your mind. Sin is not acceptable. Change your mind and make sin not acceptable in your life. And then try to live in the grace of Jesus. He says, you do it. And then finally, he says, the scripture says, God did this to show us the depth of his love for you. Grace through faith. Romans 4 says, therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace as a gift and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offering. Abraham's offspring are not Jews. Abraham's offspring are everybody. God's promise to Abraham was for the nations, not just the Jews. Not only those who are of the law, that means of his blood, but also those who are of his faith. They believe God, take him at his word, and act accordingly. He is the father of us all. Are you still carrying a burden that you were not created to carry? In your personal life, can you drive a stake in a time where you said, God, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I don't know how God does this, that, or the other thing, but I recognize the Holy Spirit stirring in my heart saying, this is the truth, and I need to grab a hold of it today. If you have never done that, we want to do that with you today because I'm here to tell you this more than anything else in the world. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It is a letter from God about his love for us and his unwillingness to compromise on sin. So he paid the price. And he's waiting on you and I to surrender our lives to him. If you've never done that, it's time today. That's why you're here. It's not an accident. 
You are here because the Holy Spirit brought you in. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to get up out of that chair. And we want to pray with you because this is your day. That's what we're doing. It's time to let go. It's time to reconnect with a God that loves us. Are you carrying your shame? Are you carrying your depravity? Are you carrying your loneliness? Are you carrying your, your, your failure by yourself and nobody knows? It's time to let the Holy Spirit take that from you. If you are not living the Parisos life, the abundant life that Christ came to give you, if you are not living the Hupernikeo life of Romans chapter 8 that Christ came to give you, it's time to lay whatever that is up here and let God overwhelm you. Holy Spirit, we come before you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for Paul. We thank you for the church in Rome. We thank you for this letter. We thank you for the truth. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that drove this man to write it and for the people that, that saved it up and stored it up and bound it up for thousands of years that we might be looking at it today. We thank you for the love of God and Jesus Christ on Calvary and the blood that was poured out so that we could be forgiven and not continue in our sin. But God, we need you. So we say, come Holy Spirit, who is God. Break our hearts. Give us courage. Strengthen us to take that step. Release these people, God, from the bondage of politics, of bitterness, of anger, of hurt, of pain, of sexual immorality, of lying, of cheating, of greed, whatever it might be, God. Set us free that we might be lights in a dark world that we might come together, be a bonfire and not a little candle all by ourselves because we love you and we want you to have our lives. Thank you for this forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen.